Hello, hello. Today is December 9th, and I like to make a recording, a special tribute,、uh, an honor to my mom because it's mom's birthday、uh, on the 8th of December. I will be reminded by her, and I know. So I thought I'd make this special recording for her because, well,、um, I don't know how old you are, mom, but that doesn't matter because. I've known you as a mom since I was a wee baby, and you've always been next to me. So for me, you're you're all ages, and you're ageless. <laughs> you're ageless, mom. I can't tell what your age is. It doesn't matter. For me, how I feel about you is、uh, you're just love, and、um, and 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 age is、uh, very very、uh, subjective. So let's forget your age. For me, you're. Your eternal, your eternal love, and I know that we've got our struggles. We have our differences.、Um, I'm very different from you. We have our conflicts, right? But I, I want to take this opportunity to tell you, and to honor motherhood, right? Because it's important. It's important to reflect about this, because when we do meet face to face, we hardly talk about such things. I'll be too shy. I'll be too shy to talk about this, and it's it's really hard to talk about your true feelings in front of a person. So that's why I'm kind of like in my own corner here, reflecting about motherhood and about my mom, and making this recording because I'm not even sure if I'm capable of saying all this if I were to see you in person. <laughs> so thank God for the lockdown, right?、Um, and you're far away, right? You're in. Singapore. I'm in Canada, and yeah, so much distance apart. So I want to make sure that while you're very healthy and very alive, and you know, very much with me,、uh, I'm able to share this message with you. So, what's important is, as I've reflected, is that you know you've been the first person to have taught me love. You know, you held me, you nursed me for many months,、um, and you've always been there with me all through my life. So, because you love me,、um, and I felt your love, and I know that my mom is always there for me, I can in turn face the world. And I, I, I always remember you saying that all the time. As I was growing up, that you know, it doesn't matter what Kay's learning at school, as long as she knows that, she, you know, I got her back and I'm always supporting her. That's the most important message that she needs to take home: is that her mom and dad are always there behind her, and that is going to give her the confidence and the wings to fly and fend for herself as she grows up. And and sure, I have, I have lived in. Asia. I've lived in Europe. I'm now living in Canada, and a lot of my autonomy and independence and strong will is because I, I, I have your love, and so I'm able to love others. I'm able to trust other people, and very importantly, I am able to trust myself and love myself because I know what love is. So. I sincerely understand that you know the the biggest disease or the biggest 
uh, conflict that we have in this world is because um, unfortunately you know people who never felt love as they grew up from their mothers or fathers it's really difficult for them to know how to love others because they never felt it themselves so to me having felt your love being loved is a huge privilege and I just want to take this opportunity to to make that recognition because I'm really grateful because uh, I know this is a privilege you know so now that I have three kids I'm able to love and care for um, um, those those three kids munchkins of, of mine and it's amazing how at some point you know the things that I tell them is like straight out from your mouth I'm like what where did this come from <laughs> but yeah so um, I just wanted to to tell you mom that um, I love you and I'm happy that I'm doing this in my own corner in my room because if I were to be in front of you I'd be too damn shy to say this out anyways but this is truly a message and you know having been held by you and having been nursed by you um, the whole bond of motherhood mother daughter mother son is very strong because within the the woman body right it's you have this miraculous potential and ability to give birth so from spirit to body and the channel is coming through the feminine body and through motherhood but motherhood is not just about delivering the baby and oh that's it but there's a whole process lifelong process to to nurture to counsel to guide um, and be supportive and to let go as well so it's a, being a mother doesn't stop at any stage you know you're a mother for life and I remember I mean some of I'm just gonna mention some of the points that I'm particularly grateful to you towards and this list can go on and on but I'm just gonna bring it down to maybe three four points first point is you have since a very early age helped me to deal with fear you know fear is a big blocker in life and a big stumbling block you know a fear of phobia it's crippling uh, and if we don't know how to process our fear and come to terms with our fear you know we're not able to live as a full potential human being and as a kid growing up I was deathly afraid of the water so I remember you helped me a lot in that baby pool and you helped me a lot until you could let me go and I could take my first few laps you know so it was a long process because I was stigmatized as I was in Burma you know by I don't know who but I was deathly afraid of water and I think it's got to do a lot with uh, past life connections too but that's a different story um, and you know growing up in Singapore with the living in high-rise buildings you refused to pick me up downstairs when the school bus would drop me off when I was in kindergarten or nursery you would insist that I take the elevator up and my little hands couldn't press that button and you say well you figure it out yourself and I was like what 
And so I had to fend for myself, and so I came up with a technique to use a ruler to press on that button. But I was so scared of being alone, you know, in that big elevator alone and with strangers and stuff. And um, to deal with that fear, that's how you taught me to pray and to chant mantras. So Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, um, that's all because you taught me that, you know. And, and so that I got initiated into Buddhism and to spirituality and to mantras because a lot of which were used to tackle my deep, darkest fears that... If you chanted this mantra, that you would have protection. So it worked, I guess. <laughs> and now I'm like extremely extroverted person. A lot of my friends can contest to that. But when I was growing up, I was very introverted, very shy, extremely shy. I still remember being very shy and awkward and embarrassed as a kid and as a teenager, very awkward. You know, but you always drew me out. Um, you were very extroverted yourself and you'd draw me out and you forced me to do stuff and go for errand shopping in the shopping centers in NTUC or to go to the bank when I was 14 years old alone, go walk, take a bus, you know. And I refused and I was angry and I resisted, but you're like, nope, you gotta do it. And so I learned to, to get stuff done by myself and you are not overprotecting, over babying me and that forced me to you know, grow up and trust myself and cross the road and let me guide myself. And that's huge. That's huge. You know, that's huge. I mean, there are a couple of incidents where I had, to, I had you know, big learning lessons, but I, I, I had to learn. And that's the best way. You know, that's the best way. And I remember, I think uh, the the biggest thing that you know you taught me is um, the joy of learning. You know, that's the second thing is the joy of learning. And I was in primary one, in one of the most elite primary schools in Singapore, Raffles Girls Primary School, and I turned out to be the last in class. And the school teachers were very upset about that. And they, they sent home the report card and demanded to see my mother to complain about you know my poorly academic results for that seven-year-old girl. My mom came in with jewels, you know, fully decked out, right? Um, came in and told off the teacher and said, well, you know what, woman, uh, it doesn't matter even if you have a PhD. If you're not happy in life, it doesn't amount to anything. So you're not here to tell me what to do because my girl is brilliant and she might be a late developer, but I don't care she's the last in class. Uh, it, it doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> so that 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 Chinese teacher, gaping mouth, you know, so used to very kiasu, you know, very competitive parents, gets this kind of <laughs> told off by this woman, you know, with all her decked out jewelry that, you know, go bugger off. Uh, academic results doesn't mean anything. It's more important for my kid to be a kid and enjoy childhood. It's like, oh, hell yeah. My mom did that again when I was in junior college. When, um, um, yeah, a Chinese teacher kind of like, uh, I think he insulted my Chinese name. So I wasn't aware. Okay, But my friend, my good friend, Valerie Fu, told me, he's insulting you. And I, I was like, what? And I didn't know that. I was a very bad student, by the way. So um, 
I took this approach and I told my mom, hey, my mom went again to the principal's office, made a formal complaint and stood up for me. So where a lot of parents would be citing the teacher, no, no, my mom cited me. So that was a huge vote of confidence and I'll always remember that. And she's always got her right priorities, you know, to enjoy life first, be happy, you know, and uh, it's not the grades. As long as I passed and I was doing well, you know, it didn't really matter to her. And I, I figure I, I managed my way out. I struggled a lot. I think one of the biggest failures for me was failing my A-levels because I I skipped an exam. I, I forgot about the exam time. So I failed automatically because I didn't even go for that exam. It was a huge failure. My parents were utterly shocked. And um, I was utterly shocked by their reaction. For me, I was a muddled-up teenager. It didn't mean anything to me, but to them, it was huge. Like the sky was falling down or something. Those kind of epic proportions. But I was like, oh, one more year studying at home, no big deal. But they took it as a big deal. But what mom did was she invested in me. So she invested in a lot of my tuition fees. Paid, you know, private tutors who were basically, you know, my my own teachers from uh, Anglo-Chinese Junior College to to tuition me in private. They were getting good money. They were getting paid like, I don't know, like $100 an hour. And I'd get like four, six hours a week. Multiply that by a year. And I passed my second time A-levels as a private candidate. Uh, I got all A's and I got into business administration in the U.S. You know, and she didn't have to fork out an expensive tuition fee to send me to an overseas university in Australia and England or America or anything because she had that foresight to invest in my education um so that was big right so i can go on and on i think one of the biggest things as well as for me that i'm very grateful towards mom is that um, as an immigrant child growing up in singapore where i'm not chinese nor malay nor indian uh, which is the three major races in Singapore. I didn't fall into any of those categories that I was very much a muddled up kid in terms of identity crisis, big time. So the best thing she's ever done for me was to take me to a trip out to Burma when I was 18 years old. And that was very, very eye-opening. And I'll explain about that trip in a separate recording. It was very life-changing. And from that point onwards, uh, I finally found my roots. You know, it's like when you're a seedling that's uprooted from the mother tree and brought to another country, that's how an immigrant feels. You don't have deep roots, right? So what my mom did was to bring me back to my home country, help me to find back my roots. And that was super important because I have a strong sense of identity of who I am and I'm not shy of who I am and I'm not um, how to say embarrassed or shortchanging myself I'm fully me it doesn't matter whom I'm talking to whatever race whatever religion I'm still K because I have a deep sense of roots you know I'm that's very very important and, and I learned meditation my mom put me into a meditation retreat and I'll talk about meditation as well in a separate recording but meditation techniques I learned um, 
again, life-changing and has always been a friend to help me out in my toughest times, help me out in everything that I did, in childbirth, in job search, in, you know, in everything, in happiness, in finding my way in life. That's also because of mom. So despite having a lot of struggles and tension with mom, you know, because she has these expectations for me and she would compare me with my cousins and stuff, and I hate that. Um, and she has her own particularities, right? That I cannot understand, that I will never understand because I was never her. Um, I never went through the hardships that she went through growing up. You know, her growing pains and her lack of love that she felt from her dad or her own mother. Uh, she had to suffer a lot herself so she's not you know but she tried in her best capacity to give me her only daughter what she thought was the best so sometimes what she thinks is the best is not really what I think is the best and so there's these clashes right this disagreement and it was pretty severe but you know what like when I was doing these meditation retreats and uh, I would be noting anger 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 really for hours and hours sitting down meditation because there was just so much anger coming out because of how I felt I was treated by my mom and how she was making these comparisons and how I was not performing up to her standards and blah 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 it's all that drama but at one point I just see her for who she is struggling and um how she's just trying to give the best that what she can with her own ability and that she herself is a struggling human being. Uh, I had this huge wave of um, uh, kind of like uh, uh, pity, you know, and, and, and I saw her as a third party. I didn't see her as mom with all these affiliations, but I saw her as a third party standing aside and I could see that she was another suffering human being. Um, and I saw her, you know, like how she was at that time, you know, very unfit, extremely obese. Now she's so much better. And she was struggling and she was just using all this arrogance and the way she behaves as a, a defense mechanism, as a shell. But her true person is just something else altogether. You know, it's very, very kind. So I could go through that, all penetrate through all those shells in that moment of consciousness. And it allowed, I just cried buckets. Then I could heal and I could forgive mom. You know, so, I mean, we all have our own stories with our own mothers. And it's not all rosy. And for some of you who are rosy all the time, well... <laughs> great for you mine is not all rosy but it's i can see that you know she has been the the bedrock for for me and my family and has given me tons of opportunities she's the one who pushed me to do my exchange period in new zealand and then pushed me again to get out of singapore to go to finland for an exchange period with my best friend shama where i grew up as well she gave me all these opportunities like you know she taught me she 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 could she wasn't a meditator herself but she brought me to a retreat where i learned meditation from from one of the best guys like jeff jeff oliver you know, he taught me meditation one of the best meditation teachers ever you know it's like i learned all this because of mom 
So, and all the great childhood memories that I have that made my childhood so precious, like, you know, going to Changi Beach, going to East Coast Beach, going to Sentosa, going to St. John Island with all our friends and, you know, the, the children, uh, Burmese friends and family, um, was all initiated by mom as well. You know, she, she really wanted, she loved nature, she loved the water, and she loved the sea, and she would bring me and uh, my cousins and make sure that we have a great time picnicking and being outdoors uh, a lot, and bringing us out for holidays with my dad, you know, we would go out to Malaysia and would see the nature and stuff, um, and my mom loves the forest and she loves nature, and it's also because of her own mother, so... As I'm talking about my mother, I'm also aware that we have a common bond of a heritage of woman precedent to us, like my grandmother, my great-grandmothers. You know, we have this lineage, this womanhood, right? Um, this genetic pool that's within me, and that's this connection that's very, very strong. Um, uh, the Burmese women are extremely entrepreneurial. It's a maternal uh, society, a matriarchal society, where women have to say, women work, women are revered, um, women have a lot of power in society, it's matriarchal, and we are very alpha women because it runs in our warrior blood. I think we have a lot of Genghis Khan blood, <laughs> I don't know. but we're very fiery, hot-blooded, um, entrepreneurial, we know how to get money, you know, my mom and my grandmother, and my, you know, they've been trading gems all along. They've been very self-sufficient, financially strong, rich, smart businesswoman. And a lot of my instincts is coming from that maternal lineage. So, you know, although we have our differences and sometimes uh, when these clashes happen, it's because I recognize there is ego and pride on both parties that stands in the way. I'm not going to let it stand in the way for long because um, love is, uh, is, is, is what you have taught me. And I've also learned because of this forgiveness. You know, I've learned to also forgive you and to forgive me. And I learned a lot of these life lessons uh, because of this connection and bond with you. So sometimes I also wonder, you know, it's like, um, do we ever cut the umbilical cord? I think we'll always be connected. And um, again, this story of life, right? It's like uh, we have this physical body, but what happens when the physical body passes away? Does this mean our mother passes away? I don't think so. You know, I really don't think so. I think that my grandmother who has passed away is still very much alive. and. The way she says things, the way she sees the world, the way she loves nature and her behavior is very much in me. So it's like we are all connected in that sense. You know, we have this shared gene pool. And who knows, the person I'm talking to, my friends, they could have been a mother in my past life. This is a mystery, you know. So although we're different separately as a physical separateness, we are connected spiritually, emotionally, we have that bond. Um, and furthermore, we have that heritage and that bloodline. A very proud, you know, Burmese um, uh, ancestry, right? 
and my grandmother likes to say almost royal ancestry as well i don't know how true that is but well that's good you know regal blood all the better <laughs> so yeah so so that's something that i want to pay tribute to and i also like to acknowledge that though we are mother and daughter we're also two very different human beings with different personalities different outlook in life different philosophies so i don't expect you to think like me and i don't expect me to think like you you know we're very very separate in terms of our identity and our outlook that's okay that's okay <laughs> that's how you know the whole generation is going to improve from one generation to the other to the next that we're not going to repeat the mistakes of the past and we're just going to get stronger and better you know as a human race right um if we're all identical to our mothers and fathers like there is no richness in this genetic pool so i have to remind myself this that next time i have a clash or a conflict with my own parents or my mom to remind myself that we're two very very unique different human beings but we still love each other and that's okay the differences are okay in the name in the spirit of love it is okay we can accept those differences and we can forgive and come together and keep those communication channels open super important deep down i like to also you know as i pay tribute to my mother and of course you know motherhood it's the mother nature is uh, our mother you know the earth the mother earth feeling her energy and that we're all coming from her source you know source energy um earth element fire element water element air element it's all very much within us and we're all part of mother nature we're all going to disintegrate into back into mother nature um it's it's a tribute to mother earth and um how do we treat our mother how do we treat our mother earth If we disrespect our own mother by polluting by being ignorant children insulting our mother denigrating our mother which is mother earth this is the very earth which supports us beneath our own feet so not to respect your own mother and our planet earth is directly indicating that we're not respecting ourselves so i think the true message is to love our mother to love mother earth is to first know how to love ourselves and to feel the love from there it is an energy and a mantra to know how to love ourselves truly you know and to fill that void that space with that positive with that light with that flow so the the womb in which we we came from that space the watery space that held us sometimes i wonder why i'm so attracted to the sea and the ocean by the waves and just being in water maybe because it reminds me of that you know very first moments of life when i was held in a womb and and in this space where it's silent quiet 
this watery world where I first came into conception, right? And so this as well tribute to water and to oceans and seas. You know, the the womb and our bodies are made of uh, primarily water. You know, um, and it's sacred. And it, it holds the life force energy. So let's celebrate, you know, together with my mom's birthday, a celebration of the feminine energy um, that is gracious, that is soft, that is forgiving, understanding, um, and to learn to learn to to heal, to listen and. And yeah, to pay respect back to our original source, which is our mom, our mother earth, and from where in which we have sunk our roots, to have our our roots deeply um, ingrained, deeply, you know, into the earth, the bedrock of earth, so that we are standing firm on our feet. And that those roots are the roots of love. So with that, I wish all of you uh, a beautiful day, and especially for my mom, Emma uh, Tintin Mians, um, that if she hears this, she's gonna hear this, that she's a, a pretty special lady. Lots of love. Bye. Hello. It's Sunday. December the 20th, 2020. So it's 2012, 2020. <laughs> and I'm in Montreal in Canada and it's snowing outside and there's a lot of snow. It's very silent when it's snowing. Today, I wanted to share a podcast. I just wanted to talk about something that is mysterious <clears throat> so just to celebrate mystery um, and this is coming from my own experience and that's true dreams so I don't know which one of you might dream or remember your dreams but I can remember my dreams since a long time and I remember them in Technicolor and so it's very striking. And often the dreams that I get are a little bit like forecasting the future. <laughs> so if you guys are, you know, you know, those financial forecasters, yeah. It's a bit like that. For me, the dreams are a bit forecasting. And um, there are some that's really nice and there's some that's not so nice. The one I can remember for a long time. When I was young, I'll start with some of the major ones. So that was way long time ago. Uh, so long time ago, I can't remember the year. But it's, you know, during the, it's basically the 9-11, you know. Uh, that awful year when, um, yeah, something very disastrous happened in New York. The year before, I was in New York. And, you know, I was traveling around the East Coast of 
America with alone with visiting friends and backpacking and then going around Canada as well. All thanks to daddy's credit card. So, a lot of thanks to daddy. <laughs> so in New York, you know, my friend Sandy and I were basically visiting New York by night, you know, just hitting the clubs and we didn't see a single daylight. We were just out and about till 5 a.m. clubbing. And that was all we were doing. No drugs, no alcohol, clubbing, just serious clubbing. So that's perfect New York life. Um, <laughs> one day I woke up in sweat. I was dreaming something that's so horrendous. I looked out of my, in my dream, I was back in Singapore in my parents' house. And there's this huge, you know, in the living room, there's a huge sliding window. It's really, really, really long. And it's looking out into the park, which is very nice. Very nice view of the park, Casuarina trees, and it's beautiful. So I was looking out of the window and I saw a plane and then the plane was coming I thought it would fly away but no the plane was coming towards the window really close and then before I knew it it started to drop missiles and bombs it was this huge nuclear reaction it was huge you know those mushroom clouds that was so scary because the the planes the fighter planes were flying really close to the tall high-rise building that I was in and I woke up in sweat. I was so full of fear. And I told my friend Sandy, I don't know if she remembers this, but the next year, at exactly the same time, you know, this disastrous happened in New York to Times Square. And that was, wow. It was not good to have felt this strong feeling a year ago. That was a premonition. Another preliminary dream that I had was before, a month before the tsunami struck Asia. That must be at least 10 years ago. And I can still remember the dream very vividly in my mind. So in my dream, I was in Thailand. So uh, I was holidaying in Thailand and, um, you know, in um, those beach resorts, which were up in the hill and then overlooking the sea. So there was a beautiful swimming pool, you know, all the people, tourists, all of us, you know, swimming and some of them, you know, on the lounge chairs, drinking cocktails and stuff. Bougainvilleas, red, orange. It's very tropical, sunny, beautiful blue skies, no clouds, the sea was calm. And I was looking out at the sea, you know, admiring. I looked down, I could see the beach. There were sunbathers, you know, mostly white people who love to bake themselves red. You know, they were all sunbathing and the sea was just like glass, flat, it's beautiful. <clears throat> and I turned around, you know, just turned my back just to look at the poolside. And then I felt a spray of water on my back, like that, you know, like, you know, the sea spray, you know, when the waves hit you, okay. So I was like, what? It, it didn't strike me. I turned around, the sea was flat. So, but then something I noticed that all the, the sunbathers, they were gone. I was like, strange. So in my dreams, like, what? And I felt sea spray, it was amazing because I was way up high on the hill. How could the sea level just rise up like that? So, I, so that's the dream. And that night 
again the dream continues and I went down the steps I went down the hill resort and I went to walk on the beach and then I felt the last minute thoughts of those people who were on the beach before the tsunami hit and I could feel their last thoughts there was a girl she was maybe European can't remember her nationality maybe from Netherlands or Germany you know one one of the Nordic countries and she was a medical student um, she was young you know studying medicine and um, she was because I could feel it she was <clears throat> telling herself all the parts of her body that would break down and die like in chronological order and she was using these terms I can't even remember them because I, I'm not a medical student but in my dream I had all these medical terms that were coming up one after the other like she was rationalizing the step-by-step -step how the body would break down that was her way of coping because the tsunami just hit like a flash with no warning but the last thoughts of one couple was the one that I it moved me to tears even in the dream and I woke up crying and it was a couple and they were childless they had adopted a child a baby um, the baby was not with them was back in Europe or America wherever they came from they were white you know white couple and um and they were holding their hands and they were making a wish to the baby they were talking to their child um, you know that was their last thoughts saying that mommy and daddy will be a star to always be with you and protect you even if we know you're gonna we're gonna die we're always with you and um, you're never alone you know we'll, we'll always be there to protect you and um, you know don't ever feel like you're alone in this world and their last thoughts before they died was love was the fact that there is you know although the physical body is no longer there that their minds are always with their child and it was this last thoughts of love that took them away before the wave hit and that was so moving at that time when I dreamt I had no children myself so I, I couldn't empathize how a parent would feel for the children so I was moved to tears um, by this and then I woke up um, and that was early December and we moved we were living in Singapore and we moved to France um, I moved to France and um, at the end of December the tsunami struck Asia big time taking away the lives of so many people and devastating the whole Southeast Asian coast all the way to Sri Lanka um, Malaysia Indonesia Philippines really 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 badly hit Thailand really badly hit especially Phuket really badly hit and and people like myself who love snorkeling who love diving who love the sea I could have you know easily gone to Thailand for my beach holidays if not for moving to France would have been one of those victims that was another striking dream so dreams are pretty fascinating um, you know even 
I've moved countries, three countries in 10 years. So I'm Singaporean. I lived in Singapore all my life. You know, I'm Burmese, but I lived in Singapore all my life. Uh, I've been to, I've been to Finland for my exchange period, but I've, yeah, you know, I've like I've I've seen the landscape in Scandinavia and I've you know so it's really strange that like a a year or two before we moved to um to France it should have been about twenty six so around like twenty four I start dreaming of images of mountains like like really remote mountains and seeing the slate you know the slate slate roofs like very cobblestone cobble like stone granite stone old stone houses and slate roofs I've never seen slate before so I I dreamt it, it was grayish you know like like sheets and sheets of slate on the mountaintop and snow lots of snow-capped mountains and it was so beautiful so beautiful it's a beautiful dream didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what it meant. Then we moved to Geneva um, two years later and settled down in for five years in Haute Savoie in Bonneville. And we have this beautiful mountains behind us, the French Alps. I've never been to those Alps, Alpine mountains before. And I was dreaming of it like two years before. And it was fantastic. It was like premonitory, you know. <laughs> We stayed in France for about five years, and then we eventually moved to Singapore, back to Singapore. So we moved back to Singapore around 2008. Then we stayed for five years again in Singapore. And at that time, you know, really happy in Singapore. You know, in Singapore, we have, you know, great life, lots of income, travel around like crazy. You get domestic help. You stay in a condo. Uh, you got three swimming pools. Uh, <laughs> It's 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 con consumerism heaven, right? And um, living the great life, um, not very real, but living a good life. <laughs> but we wanted more. We wanted nature. We wanted space. Um, giving the kids uh, a place that you know it's closer to to nature and stuff. So we didn't think Singapore was going to be the final like landing permanent home and stuff. But still was a great place so we, we were not thinking of going anywhere we even you know so then I started dreaming of looking out again it's like it's really funny how my dreams always have this like common theme I'll look out of the window of my parents house again through these big panel windows I'll look out and then this time, instead of seeing the cashewina trees that, you know, in the, the beautiful Jurong Park, I saw hectares and hectares and hectares of maple trees, all red, flaming red, fall colors in their full, full splendor, maple trees. I've never been to Canada. I've, well, I've been to Canada, to BC and all for my, my holidays when I was in my 20s, but backpacking and stuff but never at fall and never to you know never seen those maple in in fall and there I was looking maple so I had a couple of dreams of seeing this beautiful side of just maple trees 
didn't know what to think about it. But then it came out like that, snap of a finger, you know, there was an opportunity for a post um, professor position in uh, McGill that opened up Canada, Montreal. And um, I was having, you know, a really, really good job with Harley Davidson. Regional role, earning big bucks. So was, you know, Steph was, career was okay, but uh, he wanted to be in, you know, a professor and he didn't have that opportunity. There was like a glass ceiling for him. So I said, well, baby, just go for it. Just apply it. And, um, you know, it doesn't matter my career. I'll just start all over again. It doesn't matter. So first come is uh, your career goes first. So I said, go for it. So he applied. And out of all the candidates, uh, he was selected. And here we are in Canada today amongst the maple trees. Again, it's very premonitory. It's, it's amazing. It's like... Uh, so dreams, lucid dreaming, and for me, I, I start to join the dots. You know, when you dream it, you got no idea what it is about. But it's like it takes a year sometimes for you to figure out what that dream meant. Um, so here we are in Canada amongst the maple trees. The other amazing dreams are also my path into my current company. So the current company that I'm working with is um, it's, a, it's an MNC based in, in Europe, in Switzerland, to be precise. Well, I was, you know, I was a consultant, bef you know, in, in Singapore, um, it's in Montreal. Uh, I had to start all over again, you know, coming to Canada as a start from zero, like zero. I had over 10 years of experience international career, I've worked all over Europe, I've worked all over Asia Pac, I've held like, you know, strategic roles, managerial positions. And in Canada, they don't recognize anyone with zero Canadian experience. So I had to start all over again. That's okay. I wanted a job, I didn't want to be sitting around at home. So uh, my good friend Paulina said, Hey, you know, there's a position at Concordia University, would you like to work at the student exchange office? So I had to start from zero like that, you know, I had to, you know, build up my career base again. And so for whoever, you know, of you out there who are moving and migrating and, you know, you feel the struggle, the fact that you are a PhD, you're a master's degree, you got the MBAs and you're, you know, professional medical doctor and then you don't have that opportunity in your new host country, I, I get it. I really get it because I went through that, you know, all that. You just need to you know, don't take it personally, don't let it beat up your ego, know your self-worth and go for it, right? And then you will see that opportunities and doors will open. You just need to swallow your pride. The pride is the biggest enemy. It's it's not that they don't recognize you. It's, it's such a built-in system that you, you alone can't fight the system. Just go with the flow. I went with the flow. So I, I build up a a nice career in in Canada step by step you know taking very you know the, the pay packages they're really below my what I was earning back in say Europe or in in Singapore well it's okay you know it's partners uh, career comes first and the family and the kids so that's all right so I just said you know I told myself that I will because I will get back to where I was before 
because I, I literally gave up my career each time we moved for my partner. And I knew that that good karma, that good compassionate thought will have a nice, will have eventually rewards. So eventually, you know, I, I was, you know, having a consultancy role um, in the bank. It was nice, but consultancy, I wanted something permanent. And then I dreamt, so I was, I dreamt, so strange dream. I was in the sky train. So, you know, like in Europe where they have the sky train. So I was in the sky train at night and it was ultra modern sky train glass. I was looking out and I saw, I saw like it was at night and I saw these cobblestone, very quaint European villages, cobblestone with beautiful brick houses and, you know, very European, very clean. And I even got out of the sky train and I chatted with someone was an old man who was sweeping the floor and um, he was so educated we were having this really really you know uh, good conversation about economics or something <laughs> and I was like wow the people here are so educated and so refined I went back on my sky train and then the sky train went through mountains so it was like mountains and mountains full of snow and it arrived into um, a city it went straight, you know, from um, those cobblestone European style little villages and mountains, majestic mountains, right into the city. And there was this huge glass building, green, green glass. And it went right into the glass building. It went out and I stepped out and I saw um, a cafeteria that was very modern, like modern cafeteria with chefs at each stall that were preparing special food for you so you could pick out your ingredients it's like le marché you know it's like you pick out your ingredients and it's gonna, they're going to cook for you and stuff it's very very high class food food like marché and it said in big and bold um uh yeah price waterhouse coopers you know um so i thought that oh i'm going to get my job with um uh, PwC because I was applying for, as a consultant there and and I was like yeah I'm gonna get this I'm gonna get this role or something when I woke up but I I didn't so I got instead eventually I had an interview and I got myself into this company right this um, European MNC nothing clicked nothing I I knew the dream was really special but that was it and then a month into my role I had to visit Germany for my first orientation. And that Anapatal, that village, was strike on resemblance to my dream. It was like that cobblestone village was Anapatal, or that little Revelsburg where my hotel was. <laughs> it's just so quaint with the cobblestones, the exact same. I'm like, oh my God, this déjà vu. It's like, this is in my dream. Um, and later on, a few months down the road, I visited Zurich for work again. And then that's when I said, like, oh my God, Zurich. I was first the mountains, the Swiss Alps. I was like, spot on. That's again, that feeling of, I dreamt this place, right? 
I was in a sky train to get, you know, going around. Everything is so convenient in Switzerland. Everything is linked by train. So I was going around with a train and then I, I went from, literally from the mountains, went through the villages right into the heart of Zurich, into the city, and I passed the green glass building, which was Pricewaterhouse and Coopers there. So I was like, oh my goodness. And let me tell you, this company that I'm working for, both in Germany and in Switzerland, has really fancy food court, like canteen with chefs preparing meals for every single person. So, um, you know, it, <laughs> those dreams can't be more precise. So that that's pretty, 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 pretty awesome, um, which is why I feel like, you know, we are, I don't know about you. I'm just sharing this out with the whole white world. It's, um, there's something really strange, and I don't think that we are in this space-time dimension where only the human realm exists. Because of these dreams that I get, I have full confidence because of my direct experience that there is something else out there. There are other dimensions, other portals, other other realms, other worlds that is mixing up with ours, you know, and that we're not, we are really have some kind of power, you know, it's, we have divine power. It's just, I think it's really lying dormant within us. Um, I practice meditation. I'm not sure to what extent meditation helps to wake up this so-called power. And it's not the power that I'm after anyways. I just want to have uh, a meaningful, happy life. But I do get direct experience of things that are quite um, mystical, you know, and through these dreams. One of the biggest mystical things is also, you know, in, in Canada or in a lot of places, there is this concept of totem animal or spirit animal or spirit guide. And for me, I know who my spirit guides are because they show themselves to me in my dream. You know, it's, um, I just dream and I think I'm, I'm lucky. So I was a kid. I start, start, I start knowing about my spirit mother when I was a child. I was around 16, 15 and she, I was in volleyball team at that time, playing a lot of volleyball. And I, I had a dream that my mother was a huge naga. So Naga is a mystical water dragon, black, and she was black in color. And she had a full crown, you know, and she was, think about a huge anaconda, just multiply that by 10 times. That was her size. She was enormous. She was black, very intimidating, but she's my mom, so I was not scared of her. Um, and so she would, in my dream, she was driving me around in a car. So she would get in the car, this, this huge uh, Naga get me into the car and then she'd drive me to, you know, my volleyball practice. Um, and then after volleyball practice, we went to the shopping mall because, you know, at 16, what do you like? You like shopping malls, right? So that's what mom did. She brought me to the shopping mall and then she said to me, and she doesn't speak, she speaks through telepathy. So she speaks through her, her mind to me. She said, you wait, daughter, I'll go first to protect you. So she goes out, out of the car and she slithers, right? And she's right in front of me and she's enormous immense everyone is scared of her and everyone just like whew, give space for her and i'm walking behind 
and she's there guiding me and I dream of my mom huge big time that was I knew that I had my guardian mother who was a Naga and I belong to the Naga realm probably in in past lives I was a dragon so that's my mother and um, she has been I have not recognized this until very much later now I'm in my 40s and I I do dream of her too but now I realize the full extent of which she's been protecting me and guiding me all through this time and I have a lot of dreams coming back and forth throughout my lifetime from 16 to 40 I'll dream of being in a, a boat and going in a river, going to visit very remote Buddhist temples, forgotten, long forgotten in an island, you know, in this boat. And beside me, flanking the boat would be two majestic black water dragons, just flanking, you know, they're like going in and out, but flanking. And I would step into the island, the grass is mossy. I can feel all this in my dreams too. It's pretty amazing. I would step on the grass. It's mossy, dewy. And I would see like these ruins, these temples, these Buddha statues. Just fills your heart with peace. You know, just like, like coming home. Just like coming home. <laughs> just alone just alone I'm just alone and then I just feel like wow so at peace and those dreams like that you know just like wow just just feel like you're in this another realm altogether it's whatever shit's happening in your day-to-day -day life it's nothing compared to when you're in those places it's like wow just takes you to this other place and time I'm mean, always being flanked by the dragons, the Nagas, you know. Um, so that's my spirit mother. And I know that because she shows herself in my dreams. And many, many other dreams also. I'll, I will continue with the, the dragon story. But, you know, the whole life and death, okay, so... I have not touched wood. I have not lost someone who is very close to me. I have lost some who are close to me. My grandmother, I have lost both my grandmothers. I've lost both my grandfathers. I have lost a neighbor, my tuition teacher, you know, since I was young. She's Taiwanese. She taught me Chinese. Her and her husband are like my mother and father. And her husband died uncle. I call him uncle. Um... So they were, I was always going for Chinese tuition since I was seven, eight years old till I was 12, 13, 15 years old. So they literally brought me up as well and I was really close to uncle. Um, he was uh, very, very rough. He hates children and you know, can imagine a household where your wife is a tuition teacher and you have groups and groups of kids, he hated them. The only kid he liked was me. 
for whatever reason. <laughs> he only liked me. So I had preferential treatment and I had a special name called Aplata. Probably because I talk a lot. So he's only fond of me. So he would give me like if he's cooking stuff, he would give me stuff. To other kids, he treated them real rough and gruff. And he's like this real grouchy, grouchy guy. Okay. But I was special for uncle. And I knew it. And he would be gruffly like you know ruffle my hair and stuff and their house is full of Siamese cats and fish and lots and lots of plants outside he loves gardening and he loves fishing and hunting and all that stuff you know um very 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 countryside but living in a high-rise building you know at the bottom floor so they could have their gardens and stuff but i love it i love the energy he was really close to nature so i was um 30 probably around 36 or 37 no 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 wait a minute younger than that i was probably about 32 yeah so i was in france and then i dreamt i dreamt of uncle i dreamt that i stepped into their apartment and the apartment was ultra modern really well nicely refurbished uh, very minimalist the ceiling was green ceramic green was well, really odd because normally the house is all white painted white and stuff it was green ceramic and then uncle was sitting on a chair um he looked at me as i walked in and he said Aplata. he didn't actually he didn't talk he just looked at me and in my dream i was a little girl again and i went i saw uncle i was really happy i went to hug him and he's like tapped his uh, legs so I, I climbed up on the chair and I sat on on top of him and we we just sat there he hugged me and we didn't say a word and then I woke up and then I start crying and crying and crying bucket loads of tears it was like I felt <clears throat> I really felt something he really made a direct message and so I called my mom immediately <laughs> And I said, Mom, I think something happened to Uncle, right? Can you go and call Lao Shi, who is my Chinese teacher? Go call her. I think something happened. So she called Lao Shi. Just my mom was living in Block D, and my tuition teacher was living in Block A. And true enough, Uncle passed away. He passed away, and I got to speak with Lao Shi. I called her. She was. She said, Well, his urn. Where they put his ashes was green ceramic. So that dream was a way in which he came back, his spirit came back and said goodbye. So you see, you know, for those of you who have lost your dearly loved ones, know this for a fact that they're not gone. The body is gone, the spirit is still there. And we are, we are not just the body, we are more than that. We have a lot of bodies. We have our spirit. So his spirit came back to say bye. So I was really fortunate to be able to say bye to him as well. Um, and I still feel a close link with uncle, you know, even though it's been many years, I can still feel, I can just touch my heart and I know that, you know, he's there, he's there, you know. 
Um, when I was maybe 15 or maybe 17, 18, 19, yeah, about there, I think so, can't remember now, <laughs> I went back to Burma after so many years, I have never experienced death again, never experienced loss, never experienced death, and I visited somebody, I visited one of my relatives' dad, right, I didn't know him very close, but Intuitively, I felt he was afraid of death because he was quite old and sickly. He had cancer. I couldn't tell he was afraid of death, but I think my higher conscious knew because in Burma, when I was in that trip, I had a strange dream before I went to visit him, actually. So I dreamt that that was a very cute dream, so listen to this. I dreamt that I dreamt of a conversation that a cloud had with himself. It was a monologue of a cloud. The cloud monologue. The cloud was in the sky, was happy, and then the cloud felt extremely sad. Like I could feel his sadness. This poor cloud was so scared and so sad because he was gonna die, right? Because he was getting bigger and bigger. You know what happened to clouds when they get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger? Well, they precipitate and then they fall into rain, right? So this cloud was extremely afraid of losing his form and to die. So he was moping and he was sad, man. And then all of a sudden, bam! All the rain all the raindrops. The cloud was dispersed into a million raindrops. And every single raindrop was rejoicing. Hooray! they were so happy they were like once we were a cloud and we were so scared because we we're gonna lose our form but look at us we're a million raindrops and they were full of joy full of joy they just transcended into a different form that's all but they were all split so many and they were all happy and i knew from that dream i felt it in that dream that hey death is because you're holding on to this form you're holding on to something that you thought is so real but it's not it's not real this shape this form that you take on is temporary it's not the real you it's not the real you this is not who you are you're much more when that cloud became the million raindrops and it was rejoicing i felt this whole damn fear of death is all because of delusion all because we don't know we don't know we're so attached to form we think that's who we are and it's so limiting it's so limiting and so for some reason the 17 year old 18 year old me can't remember what my age was i went to speak to that old man who was a relative's dad okay and i told him in my very broken Burmese that sir you don't have to be as scared of death I think he was a bit taken aback because somebody like a teenager to be so upfront and up upfront and talk about death to someone who's old and well dying but doesn't want to face that fact was very refreshing probably he was listening to me he's um, by training he's a medical doctor and he was the ambassador of Burma and you know, was living all around Europe when he was younger. So he was a very educated man. 
So he listened to me and I said, yes, you don't have to be afraid of death. Look at this is what I dreamt. And I told him the story of the cloud and he smiled. And I think that helped him a lot. I was really happy, happy to be odd, to have passed this message. So these dreams, I'm telling you, are pretty amazing, pretty amazing because I learned a lot. One of the other dreams that I have were after I had a, I can go on and on. Literally, I've got so many stories of dreams to share with you guys. Um, one, lots of amazing dreams I have is also related to stars. And one particular one was after my first retreat in Burma, I went to do a major intensive meditation retreat. And in that retreat, I dreamt that I was looking into the night sky and I saw a bright star. Then from that bright star, it shoot out a beam of light to another star that appeared and the star shoot out another beam of light. And soon the sky was filled with stars with lots of beams of light. And so I, I shared this dream with my, my, uh, my meditation teacher, Jeff Udamarakita, that was his name at that time. Now he's, he's Jeff Oliver, right? And I remember sharing with Jeff, hey, I had this strange dream of stars. And he said, that's a really good sign, Kay. You know, what it means is that we're all interconnected, that you're not alone. And he is so right, you know, we're not alone we're so interconnected in this vast universe you have no idea you have no idea how you're not alone it's like that dream just very visually depicted this whole analogy boom in your eyes you just see it you just understand you have like an instant understanding bam it just shows it to you this summer i was meditating on chakras I don't know anything about chakras, but I thought I would investigate and I start doing, you know, chakra meditation practice and stuff. And I was doing a lot on solar plexus because I felt like that was really blocked, like, you know, the whole internal power and stuff. And to help me out, my dreams came to help me out. Solar plexus is yellow, you know, it's this in around your center of your belly underneath. And it's the power, symbol of personal power, you know, stepping up to your full power, right? Because um, so, so much of us are afraid to step into our full power. We're like afraid of ourselves. We're afraid to show our true us, of authenticity. So I was working on it and it's like this, uh, the element of the, the solar plexus chakra is fire. Right? Fire. I'm like, okay, fire, fire. Cool. I'll meditate on fire. But that dream just did it. It was a dream. I was in a fun fair, like at night in, <clears throat> you know, those carnival fun fair types. And there was a strange man with a telescope. And so I, I went to approach him and I said, hey, can I take a look through your telescope? And he said, sure. And so I looked through the telescope and instead of pointing out into the sky, into the stars, it was just basically pointing to around us, you know, in the, in the amusement park. And I could see swirls and swirls and swirls of yellow light, yellow orbs. And I said, oh, my God, it's so amazing. I said, I see these yellow swirls, orbs of light. And the man looked at me and said, yeah, 
it's all around us. And I went, how come I can't see it? And then he looked at me and he said, well, there are lots of things you cannot see with your blind eye. So I was like, oh my God, that's so true. Don't trust your senses. There is so much you cannot see with your senses. Our senses, our sense faculties that we place so much trust, you know, our sight and sound and all that is so limiting because so logic driven, it's limiting. But in fact, there are just swirls and orbs of light everywhere. And so I understood the fire element instantly from there in order to activate your personal power, you need fire. But remember this, if you are too adamant in being assertive to the extent of becoming aggressive, where you are like, you know, you have this, this, this angst, this, this fire becomes too much. Watch out. It's going to burn you. It's going to burn others. It's going to burn you. So fire is a power that you got to learn how to wield. Because if you don't know how to wield it, it goes out of control. And so I understood this personal power concept and why fire burns. It is a huge fuel, a thrust, an engine to move out of that inertia, this, you know, this, this idle inertia, staying in your comfort zone. Bah! You got to have that fire to like chuck, you know, it's like, go guys. But too much of it, it will burn you. You got to know how to wield that fire, control the fire. And it's the power of the solar plexus. Immediately from that dream, I understood. I understood. So, again, many dreams. First podcast, I'll do a continuation another day because it's time to go and make a snowman. Wishing every one of you a great afternoon. Lots of love. Bye.